Father, we pray that you would help us to serve you well. May we become a bridge between you and the people of our community. Flood this church with those who are seeking you. Fill the churches of our missionaries as well. Help us to share with the world the joy that comes with being a child of God. Father, we ask for your blessings. Lord, bless the leadership of this country with vision and courage, and bless those who serve it with safety. And we pray for the world leaders everywhere, particularly the governments of Iraq and Afghanistan. Bring them peace and stability. And we pray for those who have committed themselves to war and to violence. May they come to know your love and forgiveness. Finally, Lord, we pray for your blessing upon us here and now. May the message that you have entrusted to our pastor take root in our hearts. Help us to hear your word and apply it to our lives. And may the world know that we are Christians by our love. In your name, amen. It's great today to have uh, some special guests with us or folks who have returned. Uh, A.G. and Amy are here with their daughters, and uh, they are missionaries from Japan to Thailand, but we connected when they were here as students at Fuller uh, doing some coursework. And uh, you just finished an intensive, A.G., and so it's wonderful to see you again and uh, to have you worshiping with us. I'd like for your, you to help me out a bit today, and uh, what I'd like you to do right now is turn to your neighbor, and you're going to ask him or her a question. And the question is this, what are you worth? You're laughing at me. I appreciate your, uh, I re- appreciate your response. Um, now, how do I get control again, huh? We do have a lot of extra seats up here on the front row. Nice and cool up here. The air conditioning only works up front. Uh, yeah, right. So, anyhow, lots of extra chairs. I was uh, thinking about what people are worth, so I went online and I went into the Forbes magazine uh, website and uh, was trying to figure out, is this, can you hear me in the back? Yeah, Okay trying to figure out, you know, what are the richest people around and so forth. And who's the richest person in the world? Yeah, Bill Gates, far and away. And so this website listed the 400 richest people in America. I don't see any of you who were listed on that list. I'm kind of disappointed about that, but uh, some of you need to work a little harder here. But anyhow, on that, in the top ten, it was interesting, uh, numbers six through uh, ten were all Waltons. You know the Waltons? Sam Walton fame. And they are each worth about $15 billion. And there were some more below that list as well. But uh, quite interesting. There are actually three, according to that list, there are 346 billionaires in America. That's a lot of billionaires, isn't it? Oprah Winfrey is one of them. She's made all her own money, so that's kind of cool. A lot of these folks have inherited their money. But uh, more billionaires than I thought. Uh, in the top 400 richest people in the country. But I, I was thinking about what, what are people worth and what are you worth and how do we measure that? Also, while I was wandering around on the Internet, there was a uh, website. I don't remember how I got on it, but uh, I was trying to figure out what people are worth. And there was one website where one guy had this up, and I've read this figure before, but he's actually tried to calculate if you took the elements in your body, you know, the minerals and different elements, it said elements and skin. Now, that part bothered me.
your elements and your skin, you're worth it. That's kind of depressing, isn't it? There was another website I got to. It said humans for sale. And so I typed in there. The first question was male or female, and this time I put in male and uh, went to the next page, and you had to fill out all this information. And uh, part of it was how old you are and how much you weigh. Now, I don't know if they were going to go by weight off of what you're worth or what. Anyhow, I didn't complete the form, so I don't know what I'm worth. But um, what are you worth, and how do we measure that? Uh, what is your value? Um, you may have seen the sign as you came up this morning, or you looked in your order of worship, and the question under the statement, we're looking at key beliefs for life, and we're talking about things that we believe as followers of Jesus that actually make a difference. And the question that we've, we're asking today is, do people matter? Now, of course, you know the right answer, so we would all say, uh, oh yes, people matter. But I want to push that forward a bit with you as you think about what are people worth, and do people matter? Now, last year, our country went through kind of an agonizing deal as we watched the Terry Schiavo situation. Here was a young woman who had been essentially brain dead since 1990, and she was prolonged in her life by uh, feeding tubes, etc. And then when they finally removed those, she passed away last year. And great controversy and excitement and all kinds of things came out about her and her life. But it does raise the question, what, what's a person worth? And if you were to uh, have a baby, for example, and I know we don't like to think about these things sometimes, but if you were to have a baby, and that baby was born and had severe medical problems, uh, could you put a value on saving that life? In other words, would you spend $100,000 in a year, or a million dollars, or $10 million to save that baby's life? Or would you be better off to take that money to Congo, Kinshasa, where there's very little health care, and invest it there and save many lives with that same $10 million? Tough question, isn't it? And yet every day, doctors and medical people in our country and around the world have to wrestle with issues like that. How much money should we spend to save an infant's life? Or, on the other end, to save an older person's life? How much would we spend? Now, when we answer the question, do people matter, we say yes. But why do we say yes? If you were pressed by somebody to say, why is there value to a human being, how would you answer? And I'm not asking for an overt response right now, but think about how would you answer if you think people are valuable or matter? And this morning, I want to wrestle a bit with that question. Now, you can take a trip, just drive down the street a bit and drive up Fair Oaks through Pasadena and Altadena, and there are, on Fair Oaks Avenue, numerous... We call them convalescent centers, care facilities, nursing homes, something like that. And you can go in any number of those and find people who can no longer care for themselves. Most of them are elderly. Some have been in horrible accidents. And uh, there they are. In fact, not far up the street is where Sarah Jimenez is recovering. And in the bed next to her is an elderly lady. And thank you, all of you who have visited Sarah. Keep visiting her. She's doing better. But uh, next to her is an elderly woman, very frail, wears a nightgown all the time, and uh, sometimes is sleeping, sometimes she'll wake up and she'll look at me and start talking. It doesn't make much sense. She's got a stocking cap on her head. A cute old lady, and she's being cared for there. But she really can't do anything for me or you or for any, anybody in society. We have to take care of her. Why do we keep taking care of her? Why not just let her drift away? Because she's not going to recover and contribute anymore. 
Now, most of us in the room, and I'll speak as a male, um, but I think it impacts females as well, although maybe not in the same way, most of us place a high value on what we do, and we actually, we wouldn't say it so much, but we think our worth relates directly to what we do. And so we derive a lot of our sense of um, contributing in life and who we are, our value, because of what we do. I do this, or I can do that. And we derive worth from that, value. And so oftentimes we measure our own worth intrinsically by what we do. I can do this, I can't do that. We feel good or we feel bad. This morning, as we are going through key values for First Baptist Church, last week we talked about God. And we said when we say something, if somebody's sitting on the, uh, in the Starbucks with their computer open and they're surfing the Internet, they come to First Baptist, they read about our values... First of all, we want to say we believe in God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we talked about that value last week. The second thing we want to say is a value about people. And this morning I want to ask the question, do people matter? And if you say yes, why do people matter? Why not just get rid of people who aren't valuable? Or can we establish a criteria, this kind of person's valuable, but that one's not? And actually, down through history, there have been those who have risen up to say, well, these people are valuable and these aren't. And we resist that or say that's wrong. Why? Why do we think people are valuable? Now, in your Bible, and I was actually thinking we'd be in the sanctuary and I could ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, but if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. We're going to dig down somewhat deeply into a couple scriptures this morning, and I want to share with you, and you also probably have an outline somewhere, uh, in your bulletin, you want to find that outline, we're going to look at some of these scriptures. But the first reason we, we would say people matter or people value is because we are created by God. We don't think we just evolved. We were created by our Creator. Our first belief is we believe in God, a Creator. And so do people matter? Yes, people matter because they're created in God's image. And let's read the scripture together from Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make human in our image, in our likeness. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Now on your outline, as you look at that, I'd like for you to underline the uh, words image and likeness. You see it in verse 26, and then the word image again comes up in verse 27. The word image and likeness. Let's talk a bit about that. Uh, it's been fun studying, and this is a great subject to study. And as you study, of course, the words come up. What does the word image mean? What does the word likeness mean? And as we read this in Holy Scripture, are they really different or are they about the same? And uh, I'm only going to say this. We're not going to spend time talking about whether they're really two distinct words or very similar. I think they're very similar. But it could be that the word uh, likeness is there because it sort of helps qualify the word image. But for our purposes this morning, I'm going to talk about the, the word image. We are made in the imago dei. What does that mean, imago dei? It's kind of a popular word right now. What's it mean? Image of God. And you and I are created in the image of God. Why do people matter? Because people, all people, are created in the image of God. Now, the fun really begins here. What does that mean? <laughs> And there are a large variety of answers that have been given down through the millennium. And one of the answers is that, uh, and I'm going to go through these very quickly, and 
this morning the best we can do is sort of start down a road. We can't go very far, but I can point you in a direction. If you want to go farther, you can do that. But some folks have said, actually, that this word image of God relates to some physical characteristics. And there are those who have talked about that as human beings. We are the creatures who stand upright and walk on two legs on the face of the earth. And one scholar said, if God were ever to come in in uh, visible form, God would have to come as a human. And so some have talked about image of God being kind of a physical characteristic. Others have talked about uh, the image of God actually relating... Um, to our moral characteristics or, or uh, the sense of morality we have, uh, as human beings, we have the opportunity to choose good and evil. And we live in a day in which men primarily strap bombs on themselves and go blow other people up. That's an evil choice they make. And people have that ability to do that. Animals don't do that. And so there is that sense of moral choice that we have. And some have said, well, the image of God relates to our choice our moral choice. Others have talked about our rational choice, uh, which is similar, but uh, we can make decisions. You can tell jokes. There's humor in our lives, all kinds of responses. Animals don't tell jokes to each other. We can. And so we have this rational capacity. Some have said it means that. And others have talked about the spiritual sense. God is spirit, and we have a spirit, and maybe image of God relates to the spiritual. Actually, I prefer to think it's none of those. Those are qualities which we certainly have, But more likely, when we think of the image of God, God creating us in God's own image, what does that mean? And some have said what it really means is that we are created to be in relationship with God. We are actually, literally, God's counterpart on earth. God created us to be in a relationship with God, and on earth we are God's glory. Small g-o-d-s, we are God's in a sense. And the psalm even talks about that. And so there is a sense, as humans, that the glory of God is in us, in a sense, and we are, in a sense, God's counterparts on earth. Now, that's a little bit heavy, and I know it's warm in here, so let me uh, come at this in another way. Let me say it in a different way. Someone has said, the image of God is not about qualities within us, but about the fact God made us to be in a relationship. You can also put it this way. Um, When... God is talking here about a relationship and about human creation. God's not simply talking about you, singular, or me, singular. He's talking about us, humanity. And we, as human beings, are to be in relationship with God. And you can think of the story in the next chapter of Genesis where God had communion with Adam and Eve. He met with them regularly. He would go, you know, sit down and drink lemonade with them in the cool of the day. That's a relationship, and we're created for that. So why do we think... People are valuable. We believe that, and our nation was founded on that Judeo-Christian ethic that people are created in God's image, and therefore they're valuable. There's a specific value to them. Now, that's not all we can say here, and I want to move on to the next one, that not only are we created in God's image, but God has commissioned us. We have a commission given by God, and we're going to look at that. This is kind of fun. We are commissioned by God. Nothing else on earth, as far as I know, is commissioned. The oak trees didn't get a commission other than the bare oaks, uh, acorns, you know, little nuts, and I don't think snakes got much of a commission. We got a commission from God, and we're going to look at it. Let's read here. We're back in Genesis chapter 1. I want to read this together. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea 
and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, I want to leave that scripture up, and you can look at it there or look at it in your notes. But uh, look at that scripture with me, and let's try to answer the question, what did God tell us to do as humans? This is a commission given to humans. As far as I know, it's never been taken away. We talk about the Great Commission a lot in Baptist churches. We almost never talk about the First Commission. But it still stands. And it's huge. What did God say we're supposed to do? Number one. I don't know if these should be priority. You know, I don't know if this is most important, but it's pretty important. What's number one? What's that about? Having children, reproduction, sex, right? I mean, is that about sex? Can we all say amen? Amen. amen. Some were more hardy than others, but... Uh, yeah, this is about reproduction, about reproducing. Now, a question for you. Uh, and I've been working with this all week. I'm sure I'm going to mess this up. But um, I wasn't going to ask about if you've had sex, but I was going to say it this way. Uh, if you are not reproducing, that is, if you don't have children, are you failing in this commission? Now, you don't have to answer me out loud, but it's a decent question because God said we're to reproduce. And so if you say, well, I haven't done that yet, it doesn't look like I ever will, have you disobeyed the first commission? Now, let me back up. Remember a moment ago I said when we talk about this in this chapter, it's about humans. There's an S on the end, plural. This isn't just to you. It's not just to me. It's to humanity, to all of us. And so as a human family, we are to be reproducing. Does that mean everybody has to have a child? Of course not. This, again, is a commission given to all of us as a human family. We're to be about the business of reproducing here on earth. Now, the second thing we're supposed to do is what? Fill the earth and subdue it. That's the next phrase, as this is punctuated. Fill the earth and subdue it. And uh, again, we're starting down some paths. We can't go very far down. But uh, let me illustrate in a couple ways. Uh, back to the children thing. Uh, when you raise children, you start off with that little infant, and the mother usually is with that daughter or son, you know, 24-7. It's, it's an intense thing. And then as the child grows up, eventually, now parents don't exactly say this, although they get pretty close sometimes, but eventually as your child grows up, you say what? Shoo, go away. Get a life. Don't you have something to do? Now, again, we don't say that literally, and I was very sad when our sons moved out and all, but it was the right thing for them to do. There was a sense in which, at some point, like the little bird in the nest, they better jump out and fly away. They go out on the earth and make your mark. And as Christians, we certainly should believe it should be a positive. Go out and do something productive. Benefit humanity. Do something good out there. But go! And here, there's a sense of that in this commission. Go out and subdue the earth. Don't just stay here. Move on out. And that's the story of humanity. We're moving on out to the moon. We're going out into space. We're going out. And God's given us that commission. Now, a silly illustration, but when Joyce and I were in uh, Dallas, Texas, for college, we moved then to Chicago to go to seminary. And when we landed in Chicago in the dead of winter, uh, we didn't know anybody. We couldn't find any place to live that we could afford because the expenses were so much higher there, and we were kind of in shock. And uh, finally we found God guided us to this little apartment complex where there were... Uh, they were mostly empty, and we called the guy that was renting them. It turns out he was a Christian, and that was to our advantage because he rented to us, even though we didn't have a job. 
And we moved in, and this was a little six flats, you know, three on one side, three on the other, and we were in the middle unit, and it was a two-bedroom apartment with our two sons. We moved in there. The place was filthy. Ah! We didn't even want to sleep there the first night, so we, you know, you buy the ammonia and the 409 and start cleaning, and the wax was about this thick on the floors, and we painted the inside, and the the floor had been wet in the bathroom, you know, so it was kind of half-rotted, and I eventually put in a new floor there. Uh, You got the picture? We kind of had to subdue the place. We had to bring it in under our control, you know. And that life is like that. We're always going out and filling and subduing. That's kind of the nature of things. And so that's part of the commission. Now, what's the last thing that's listed here? Okay, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, some translations say have dominion over the uh, animal kingdom. Now, you and I are not animals. We're not equal to animals. We are to rule over this earth. God gave humans this earth. It's ours. There are a lot of other people saying other things today, but the Christian perspective is this is ours. Now, God said dominion. He didn't say domination. God said rule. He didn't say rape. There's a difference. But we have this authority over earth. I rule over my cat. That's going down the long road. That's uh, by the way, how many of you like hamburgers? Could you just love a big, juicy hamburger right now, just uh, the best in town? You know you couldn't get a hamburger back in this day? You couldn't get a hamburger for years. You know when you could first get a hamburger in the Bible? Not until Genesis chapter 9, because it's not until chapter 9, after the flood, that God says to Noah, you see here, what can you eat right here? Well, it says it later, but anyhow, you know, it's vegetables, basically, fruit. Not until after the flood does God then say, hey, you can also have dominion over the animals and they can be food for you. So think about it. Adam and Eve and their kids, they all ate vegetables. I'm sorry about that, but I just have to preach the word. And uh, meat didn't come along until after Noah. So God said you have this dominion, this rulership. And so God has given us a commission as human beings, and it's a very high commission. And that's, that's the, the next thing we need to say. Now, we said two things. Why do people matter? What's, what's the first one? Yeah, we're created in God's image. The image of God is in us. It's in you. And the second reason people matter is what? We have a commission. We've got something to do down here. Now, there's a problem, isn't it? What happens in chapter 3? Well, we make a mess of things. We turn our back on God. We kind of say, "Well, I know God gave us this one rule, but uh, you know." And you know the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent and breaking the rule. And so humanity's relationship with God was broken. Remember, we were created to be in relationship with God. That relationship was severed by our willful disobedience. We said, "Forget it, God. We can do without you." So God
Sure, John, we thank you. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son who loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Okay, we're going to leave that up there. Thank you very much. That's just a, that's a great verse. Uh, and we break into some sections, but we have joy. Why? Because God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We were in disobedience. God rescued Adam and Eve. He keeps on rescuing. And he's brought us into a new kingdom, the kingdom of his son. Now, the last line is why this is up there. This talks about our broken relationship with God caring for us and bringing us back into relationship with God. And therefore, we can be in relationship with each other. But see the word image again? Now, I'm sure you never do this, but since we're so depraved in the Hasper household, sometimes the Hasper guys sit around and talk about, we used to have this conversation in Chicago because we lived in a very diverse community. And we would say, you know, what are the, the most beautiful women in the world come from where? And, you know, we'd have this discussion. Maybe kids would talk about different people in their school, and you know, it was a very uh, mixed neighborhood, and it was kind of rich. And then we moved to Southern California. When we moved down here, my son was in a very tight relationship in high school with his girlfriend. He wanted to stay there. You know, we moved him in the senior year. It was kind of cruel. I couldn't believe it. We just crossed the California border, and he forgot about his girlfriend. You know, and she came out for Christmas two months later. He didn't want to see her. Well, here in California, I don't know if this is statistically true, but there are a lot of beautiful people around, aren't there? I mean, we're into fitness and looking good. You know, it's better to look good than be good. It's kind of a model for some. And so there are a lot of good-looking folks around. Look around here today. This is a great-looking group. Look around. Yeah, it's a good-looking group, right? What do you think? Not bad, yeah. Well, this idea of image, if you could, you know, what would be the best image of God? Who is best created in the image of God? Well, there are a lot of images around, but this scripture says it's Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. And he's the best image you can imagine. Now let's go to the next scripture. Uh, it says in Corinthians, you are being transformed into what? The same image. From one degree of glory to another, for all this comes from the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're doing better every day. Um, I want to conclude by, I really struggle, I just have to confess, 
What do I do with this message? And I want to conclude in this way. I want to tell you about a, a woman I met in Nicaragua. And we were on a mission trip. And in 1998, one of the worst hurricanes in human history hit uh, that part of the Americas. Now, some have said, and I don't know if this is exactly true, but some have told me that Nicaragua is the second poorest country in the Americas, Haiti being the first. It's a very poor country. And when the winds and rain blew through, mudslides came, houses got knocked down, Nicaragua was devastated, and they don't have much infrastructure to rebuild. So many groups sought to help, American Baptists from London. And our international mission agency said, we're going to send a team a month down there for as long as we can to try to help rebuild homes and just do what we can. And so our church signed up, the church I pastored at that time, and said, we'll, we'll send some teams. And so the first team I went with, and we were landed in Managua, and then we were in various parts. And we spent a lot of time on a farm and met a young man named Mark. He's a Presbyterian from the States. He's an agriculturalist. And he was there to try and help these poor farmers learn how to better plant and grow crops that would be more healthy and could provide income. And he volunteered his time. He was an amazing guy. Well, he worked on this unique farm where we were helping build the building. And uh, one day Mark said, let me take you around some of the countryside. So we took off on a hike and went by a sugarcane field. Cut down some sugar cane and chewed on it. It was wonderful. And uh, as we were going up these hillsides where he would try to, the farmers would plant something there, but they never, they couldn't afford fertilizer. They'd plant the same thing over and over, and pretty soon it wouldn't grow because the ground was so barren. So Mark was trying to overcome that sort of a problem. So he was showing us some of what he's doing. And we were going up a path, sort of road-like thing, and we came to the top of this hill, and it's a very tropical area, almost a rainforest. And while we were there, there was there's a shack. Now, it was about the size, not much bigger than the stage, a little bigger than this, but not much. Just old, worn-out boards and tin kind of nailed or strung together, tin over the roof, and the roof extends out, so at the side of the shack, there's a, a stove, a, a place for a fire pit where you would cook. There was a pan or two there, and that's the kitchen, essentially, outside, and there would be a fire for cooking. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but there would have been one or two windows in the house, no glass, just a board or a door that you open up to let in a little light. No electricity, dirt floor, and then an outhouse sort of thrown together, a hole in the ground with something around that little privacy. That's it. Right out in the middle of nowhere. Now, as we walked up, and it was a desperately poor-looking building shack, uh, Mark knocked on the door, and a young woman came out. And I was dumbfounded that there was anybody there, but she came out, and she was kind of shy and embarrassed. I would guess late teens, early 20s at the most. Beautiful black hair, beautiful dark eyes, beautiful dark skin, just a lovely looking young lady. And Mark explained who we were, sorry to interrupt, and uh, greeted her. And we just spent a few seconds there and walked on. Now she stuck in my mind that these many years later, uh, I still think about her because I talked to Mark and said, what is she doing there in this shack in the middle of nowhere? And he said, well, she's recently married and just is there. She doesn't have anything to do. No school to go to, no work to do. She's just there. And that, that has haunted me as I thought of her. Wow. What kind of life is she looking forward to? She's going to have kids probably, not have enough to feed them, raise them up there in that little bitty hut with no lights, no electricity, and really no opportunities. But does it matter? I mean, after all, she's a Nicaragua. Does it matter? Well, of course it matters. And I'm not preaching a vicious sermon. We're not asking for any money today. We've already taken the offer. But my friend, everybody matters to God. And she ought to break our hearts and people like that as we hear about poverty. Why? Because people matter to God. They're created in God's image. They ought to have opportunities to 
go out and fill the earth and rule over it and have dominion. And she doesn't really. And so I want to remind us as a church in a day which we're so divided in so many ways in this country, people matter. Everybody matters. People on death row matter. Unborn children matter. Poor people matter. White people, black people, and everybody in between. Gay people matter. Straight people matter. People matter to God. Why? Because we're created in God's image. That's why God made us. He commissioned us. And he didn't just commission people from the United States, did he? I mean, this was the human family he's talking about. And we all matter. And I want to remind you today, because the minute you step out those doors, there's another message. Some are more important than others. And it's not true. The truth is that if that woman in that little shack in Nicaragua were the only woman on earth, Jesus would have come to earth, right? In fact, the truth is that you were the only person on earth and in broken faith with God would Jesus have come to earth? You bet he would. Because he loves you. He loves me. And so, do people matter? Yes, they matter. I like to say this way. You are God's crowning act of creation. What the best God can do for his ultimate act of creation as he created human beings. And you need to remember that. I am God's crowning act of creation. Only really should say, we are God's crowning act of creation. So as we put this value statement together, here's the value for First Baptist Church that speaks about people. God created people in His image. But through disobedience, our relationship with God was broken. Every value has a therefore. We believe this. Therefore, we will value all people and walk humbly with our God and others. And if you like to fill in those last blanks, those are the words. We value all people and we walk humbly with God and we walk humbly with others. And be so.